Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. This morning we are continuing in a sermon series that we've been in for some time on the book of Exodus, Uh, and we have uh, called this sermon series Brought Out, and what we've been looking at really throughout the the course of the book is how much uh, the Exodus story forecasts our story, right, that just as Israel lived their lives under Egyptian slavery, crying out and waiting for redemption, and God sent someone, he heard their prayers and he sent Moses to lead them. Well, the New Testament tells us that we likewise live our lives in a type of slavery, a slavery to sin and to death. And that God heard our prayers and sent someone, sent Jesus to lead us, not just out of physical slavery and oppression, but out of the land of sin and death and into the inheritance that we share in him. And so in a very real way, the Exodus story is your story and my story. It's the story of the journey that each of us is on. And so this morning, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 6. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This morning, we'll be reading Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand, he will send them out, and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it's spoken to us in love. You can be seated. One 
One of the core claims theologically in Christianity, one of our core beliefs about God is that he is a personal God, that he can be known personally as in a relationship. A little later in Exodus, Moses is going to tell us that he speaks with God face to face as a man would speak with a friend, right? So we believe that the knowledge of God isn't just abstract philosophical knowledge, right? It's not just speculation about what the great being might be like or what he could be like or what we like to conceive of him as being like, but rather he is a person who wants to be known by us and that knowing God is the same as knowing a person, right? You get to know God in the same way that you would get to know anybody else. How do you get to know somebody? You get to know somebody as you get to experience time with them, as their character comes out both in their words and in their actions. You come to understand who they are. And because God is personal, to know Him is a relational knowing. It's loving God and knowing God are bound up together. We don't just know facts about Him, but that we can know Him personally. So think for a minute about how you get to know a person, right? You might think about uh, the nature of a first date. Here's a little uh, dating advice. This is, this is free. Um, I never give marriage advice, uh, but I will give some dating advice. Uh, when you go out on a date, uh, you're wise to not fall head over heels with someone on a first date, right? I've heard it said that no one ever actually shows up for a first date, right? We all send our representatives on our first dates, right? We send the ideal version of ourselves, right? The most polite and charming version of yourself. You use all your best stories on the first date. You're on your best behavior on a first date. And so a wise person says, you know what? I'm going to see how this plays out over time. I might think this person is attractive or funny or interesting, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fall for believing that I'm getting the whole picture in a, in a one or two hour exposure. And so you get to know someone and somebody becomes known to you over time, right? As, they, as you exchange acts of love and kindness, as you experience their empathy, as you go through your first arguments and you make up and forgive one another, as you see their tenderness or their hardness, as you, uh, as you work through life with someone, you grow to know them, right? This is why uh, you don't, as a, if, you're, if you're married, you don't know your spouse fully on your wedding day, right? Sure, hopefully you know what you're getting. You know, you know that you're marrying someone who's been honest with you. But no, you get to know them over the course of decades, right? You'll know your spouse better on your deathbed than you do on your wedding day because of all of the life that you'll share together over that time. And God now says to Moses that knowing me is somewhat like that. You've known me truly up till now. He says, I've revealed myself to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I revealed myself to them as God Almighty, but I held back a part. I, haven't, I, haven't, I didn't let myself be known to them as Yahweh, as the Lord. And you're going to be getting to know me even more as you see what I'm going to do for you in the Exodus. This entire section as God is revealing himself to Moses, as he's talking about what he's going to do, you'll notice that there's a break. Up till about verse five and six, God's talking about what he has done. I, I did make myself known. I have made my covenant. And then in verse six, he pivots to what he will do. 
I will bring them out with an outstretched arm. I will be their people and they will be my God. What God is saying, really this whole, this whole section is summed up in the first verse. Now you shall see what I will do. Exodus is really about God's revealing himself to his people. There's this question that drives it. Who is the Lord? Remember Moses by the burning bush says, who should I tell the people that you are? Right? Who is the Lord? And then when he first goes to Pharaoh, we saw last chapter, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? That I should care about what he says, that I should obey him when he says to let my people go. Who is the Lord? And now God says to Moses, now you'll see. You'll see who I am by what I do, by how I reveal myself. What he has revealed, he says in verse 2, I revealed myself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. This is the Hebrew word El Shaddai. Um, if you grew up in the church in the 1980s or 90s, you might have a song that starts to kick in your head around that, those words. Um, but uh, if not, count yourself among the blessed. Um, but this word El Shaddai, we're not entirely sure what it means. Uh, we can deduce what it means from the context in which we find it in the Old Testament. In this word El Shaddai, your translation puts it uh, as God Almighty. And that's, that's roughly right for how we ought to think of it. That El Shaddai is always mentioned in the context of God's power and in the midst of his people's lack of power. So the first time that it's used is in Exodus 7, or sorry, in Genesis 17 when God comes to Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah, remember, have been childless and they're old and they've not been able to have children and God's made these promises to them about their descendants being as numerous as the stars in the sky. And God makes his covenant with them and he says, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. This is beyond your power, but it's within my power. Then later when Jacob, remember the, the great deceiver of the book of Genesis who's lied and swindled his family, when he's going back to meet Esau and Esau is waiting with an army to meet his lying cheat of a brother, God comes to him as God Almighty, El Shaddai. You're weak, you've made a mess of this, but God is mighty. And so again, here he references this God Almighty in the midst of Moses' weakness and frailty in the face of Pharaoh. Moses says, I'm of uncircumcised lips. That's an interesting metaphor. Uh, but what it means essentially is that I'm unclean. I'm not good with words and my moral life is unclean. Who am I to speak? And God says, I am God Almighty. So I have revealed myself really and truly to your fathers as God Almighty, but now I'm going to reveal myself even more. I will reveal myself. And look at what he says in verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you up out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. These four promises, uh, interestingly enough, form the core of uh, the Seder meal, uh, which is a later development within Israel, a way that they commemorated the Passover. And when four cups of wine would be passed in the Passover meal, in the Seder dinner, uh, these four promises would be repeated with each cup of promise. That they believe that this was God revealing his loving intention towards his people. 
that he will be the God who's known to them more truly, more fully by how he redeems, by how he gives his life and his power for their freedom. And so Moses receives this word uh, between what God has been, what he, how he has made himself known, and how he's promising that he will be made known to his people. And really, God's people, from Moses all the way up to you and I here in this place, we all live our lives between, in the present right now, between what God has done and what he promises that he will do. Right? Even after the Exodus, uh, much of the Old Testament is pointing towards the fact that there is more of God to be revealed than even they saw in the Exodus. That there's more to know about his truth and his love and his grace. Right? The prophets say that his, uh, when he leads the people back out of their exile in Babylon, that it's going to be even greater than the Exodus. Right? It's going to be even a, a fuller picture of who God is and his power. And then, of course, the Old Testament prophets all look ahead to the day when God, by his Messiah, brings this entire world back into a place of healing and peace and rightness with God and with one another. What does Jesus say in the Gospel of John? He says, everyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Right, that God's clearest uh, revelation of who he is, the clearest picture of what God is like, we see in Jesus, in his love, in his mercy, in his power, in his sacrificial death on the cross, in his powerful resurrection, victorious over death. If you want to know what God the Father is like as a person, as a person that you can really know, the gospel says, look to Jesus, that that is who God is, God himself in flesh. And yet the great promise of the scriptures is that we still have more to see of who God is and what he offers, right? The scriptures tell us that when we see Jesus again, at his return to set things right, that we'll see him face to face. And actually more than that, that that day we'll see by sight what now we simply believe by faith. Right, that then something will be real to our eyes in a way that right now we have to latch onto in hope and faith. That we will know God even more truly and more powerfully than we do now. We live between what we know of God and what we will know of God. That's true in history. That's true as God's writing his story of redemption in the world. And we believe that it can be true in this life, in your life, you can know God more than you know him right now. Right? If you're somebody, as I am so often, God seems, can seem so far removed and so distant. Right, right now, you know, that it can feel like we're taking a lot on faith. And sometimes that faith can seem to be more than you can muster, especially in the, the 2020 that we're living through currently, to believe that there is a loving God in charge of the universe who cares about you and wants to know you and who cares about his world. I'm reminded of the man who came to Jesus and his prayer to Jesus was, I believe Help my unbelief, right? I really do believe, right? I really do trust, but I'm aware that there's all this doubt, all this unbelief that's still there, and I want to know you more. Friends, in my experience as a pastor, the prayer, God, help me to know you more, 
is one that I have not known God to ignore. The prayer, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me in those parts of myself that are shrouded in darkness. Help me in those places where I struggle to believe that you really are good and true and loving and real. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Take that little kernel of belief, that little spark, and fan it into a flame. And God promises us in Jesus that the bruised reed he won't break, the smoldering wick he won't snuff out, but that he'll take our small faith and nurture it into something more powerful and real, that he will make himself known to us. Because God promises more to the Israelites than just what he'll do for them. You notice the first three of those promises that he makes are all about what he's going to do for them. I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to, with an, with an outstretched arm, I'm going to break the power of slavery. And then he says, and I will be your God and you will be my people. That the great promise of what God offers us isn't just what he'll do for us. Right? It's not just, as, as, as wonderful as those are, right? that he'll free us from slavery to sin and death, that we will spend eternity with him in heaven. Those are incredible promises of what God will do for us. But the greatest promise that he makes is one of relational belonging, right? that he will be your God and you will be his people, that he will know you and love you and you will really know him and love him, that you will live life in this communion and union with him, that you really can know him. But of course, this brings us uh, really to the core of our heart's problem, which is that we have trouble believing good news. We have trouble trusting in real love, trusting that God really is as good as he says he is and that he really does love us in the way that he says that he loves us. And we see that maybe no more clearly than what may be one of the saddest uh, verses in all of the Bible. Moses spoke this incredible good news to the people of Israel. God is your God. He wants to be your God. He's going to redeem you. Good news. Verse 9, but the people did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. Right, They had received enough bad news in their lives that it made their ears deaf to the voice of good news. They were so well acquainted with oppression and slavery and hardship and trauma that it became hard for them to even imagine that a different world was possible. They'd had so impressed upon them from Pharaoh that he was God. Right, Remember, Pharaoh didn't just claim to be a king over Egypt. He claimed to be the Egyptian deities in the flesh. And so when they heard the word God, they thought, oh, I know what this means. This means someone who tells me what to do, who's, ever, uh, who's always asking me to make more bricks with less straw. And so it made it hard for them to believe when they heard God announce that he wanted a relationship with them marked by love and grace and redemption that just rolled off their backs. It went in one ear and out the other because the pain that they had endured made it hard for them to believe that God was who he was saying to them that he was. And friends, this is true of us as well, that our pains and our disappointments and our hurts and our trauma can make it hard for us to believe that God really is who he says he is. 
that if he, that he's as kind and as gentle and as loving and as gracious, that his grace and his offer of love really is this no strings attached, exorbitant offer of freely given love. All of us, I don't know all of your stories, I know some of them, but I know that all of us have picked up enough data about the way the world is through our life in it to go, nope, that's not how it works. There are, no, there are no good news offers. There are no no strings attached offers of love. If God is really like that, if he is really that kind and that loving and that strong and that powerful, where was he when blank? And I don't know what, I don't know what your answer is there. I don't know where you've suffered. I don't know when you've been tempted to doubt the existence and the goodness of God in your story. I know that when I talk to you, uh, 2020 has dealt out enough trauma that it's getting hard, right? Sometimes it's just hard right now, especially the, if you spend enough time exposed to the news, which I don't recommend, it gets hard to believe that there really is good news at the heart of the universe, that there really is a loving God ordering history towards his own ends, and that it will be good for you, it will be good for his people. It will be good for his world. When we suffer, it gets hard to really believe that there is a loving father who wants to know us. We mentioned dating earlier. If you have your heart broken uh, by enough bad promises of love and Ill, given in bad faith or manipulatively, it makes it hard to believe that true love is possible, that real, genuine, self-giving love is there. If you grow up in an abusive or painful household, it's hard to believe that when God says he is your father, that he means that he is a loving, tender, and gentle God. In his book, uh, Connecting, Larry Crabb, a, a Christian psychologist, says this. He writes, a friend of mine was raised in an angry family. Mealtimes were either silent or sarcastically noisy. Down the street from him was an old-fashioned house with a big porch where a happy family lived. My friend told me that when he was about 10, he began excusing himself from his dinner table as soon as he could without being yelled at and walking to the old-fashioned house down the street. If he arrived during dinner time, he would crawl under the porch and just sit there, listening to the sounds of laughter. When he told me this story, I asked him to imagine what it would have been like if the father in the house somehow knew that he was huddled beneath the porch and had sent his son to invite him in. I asked him to envision what it would have meant to him to have accepted the invitation, to sit down at the table, to accidentally spill his glass of water and to hear the father roar with delight, get the boy more water and a dry shirt. I want him to enjoy the meal. Crab goes on to write, we need to hear the Father laugh. Change depends on experiencing the character of God. Change in our lives depends on experiencing the character of God as he makes himself known to us. I love God's words to Moses at the beginning of this section. Now you will see. Now you will see. I want to show you my heart. I want to show you my love and my power and my goodness If you'll have eyes that are open enough to see it and ears that are open enough to hear it, uh, there is good news here for us. 
Because the scriptures tell us that our Father did send His Son out to us while we were huddled under the porch, wondering if real love was possible. He sent His Son to gather us into the Father's house. And He promises us that in that house there are many rooms and a place for us to belong and to know our God and to get to know Him for eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, uh, the Son, the Son who knew only eternal joy at the Father's right hand, came into this world of sin and sickness and death and slavery in order to announce and to bring good news to us so that we might really and truly know the God who loves us. Lord, when we are prone to believe hard things about you, when we're tempted to believe uh, that you are not as good and loving and powerful and righteous and kind as you show us in the Bible, when we wrestle with unbelief and doubt, Lord, we ask that you would make yourself known to us, that you would show yourself to us as you did to the Israelites. We thank you that we, even more than they, uh, can know you as you are through seeing your son Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help our unbelief, that you would help us to see you and to know you and to trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.